Welcome back to Max's Morning Market Mania, August 29th, 2022. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It's a pleasure to have you. This is the New School Project. We're glad to have you. And as, as always, our mission is to help educate everybody because we know that the school system has completely failed us. So we're here to make up for all the things that they forgot to teach us or maybe deliberately didn't teach us. Who knows? Maybe they're doing it on purpose. Maybe it's an accident. But... They have messed up and they have left a lot of things out. You know, we don't know things about finance, mental health, uh, critical thinking. So we're here to help everybody and educate them in this direction because nobody is going to take care of us. And that's, that's kind of our mission. We, we do not have faith in this education system. So we're going to try to teach you guys the things that they did not teach us. So with that being said... If you guys find this valuable, you find it entertaining, be sure to share it. It means the whole world to us, and it'll help grow our mission. It'll help grow our brand, and it'll help, hopefully, to impact more lives and do more good for this world. So I have something interesting. I have three articles, and then I've got a little something special at the end that I want to tell you guys. I ran some numbers, as I always like to do, and you're going to want to tune in till the end of this podcast because... I'm going to tell you guys why you, as an American taxpayer, you owe the government $1,195,000. So I will leave it on that cliffhanger for about 14, 15 minutes, and I will get back to it. So let's get into the first topic. CNBC put this interesting article out a few days ago. Home prices fell for the first time in three years last month, the month of July, and it was the biggest decline since 2011. So why is this happening? We know exactly why it's happening. Interest rates have damn near doubled since the beginning of the year. If you took out a loan in January, maybe January 1st, you'd maybe get like a 3% uh, interest rate on your 30-year mortgage. And if you take the same loan out today, it's going to be closer to 5.75%. So you can only imagine what that does to affordability. And we did run numbers on a previous podcast, go check that out. Uh, it's our episode with Ron Williams. It was from about four, maybe five weeks ago. And we had Ron run some numbers because he's a mortgage lender and he knows how to you know, do all this stuff and calculate the monthly payments. And if you were to buy a three, if you were gonna take a $370,000 loan out to buy a house January 1st of 2022, it would have cost you $1,250 a month for that mortgage. If you were to do the same thing just a few weeks ago, it would cost you, the same house would cost you $1,779. That is an astronomical increase. And as we see, people cannot afford what they could afford six months ago. So if you could afford a $300,000 house in January, shit, you can only afford a $200,000 house now. So I expect this to get a little bit worse and I don't want to get all you millennials too excited because I know you're all waiting for a housing crash. Trust me, I, I would be appealed to see a housing crash gives me more of an opportunity to acquire real estate and those around me. I don't think it's particularly good that housing just goes up and up and up and up and up and that means the little guys can't afford a house. Yeah, the people who already own a house, their equity in their home is increasing and they're getting wealthier. Uh, but 
the people who don't have a house yet, they can't afford it. And speaking of that, uh, so th read this article. It, it'll be in the link in the description. Uh, they did include something that said, uh, pardon me one second, uh, housing affordability lowest in 30 years. 30 years. It is more difficult to buy a house today than at any point in the last 30 years. And 30 years ago, that was 1992. I, I saw a post earlier today on like Twitter or Facebook or something, and they made a comment about how, oh, 30 years ago, that was the 1970s. And then, you know, they realized, shit, we're already in 2022. 30 years ago was the early 90s. Damn, it seems like time flies, even though I was only born in 1998. But anyway, that's, that's off topic. So they mentioned in this article that uh, when, so you take the median income, the median household income, and you got to factor that into uh, the cost of a house. And right now, it costs 32.7% of the median household income just to be able to afford the mortgage payments on a house. And that is, that is appalling. One third of every dollar you get, that has to go just towards your shelter. What about your food? Your food skyrocketed in value. Your energy skyrocketed in value. It, it seems like everything went up in value. But we're, we're here suffering. We're, we are biting the bullet after our government has decided to print all this money, massively increase all this government spending. And these are the consequences of it. And I think it'll continue for the years ahead. So 32.7%. Of, your, of the median household income, that's what's required to uh, do your mortgage payment for a year. That's actually, uh, it was 13% lower at the beginning of the pandemic. So that just goes to show how much it has actually increased. The 25-year average is 23.5%. So, you know, we'll round it up to uh, 25 cents on the dollar rather than 33 cents on the dollar. I mean, it makes a big impact. Uh, doesn't seem like that much of an impact, but it is pretty big. So uh, the decline, it was actually 0.77% in July in housing prices. So it doesn't seem like that much, but it's actually pretty a pretty big move considering it's only one month. We have 12 months in a year. What is that going to compound annually? But yet housing prices are still up about 13% year over year, or pardon me, 14%. So as we, we're in uh, August right now, and as we know, if you know anything about the real estate market, it typically cools down in the winter months. People like to list their home in the spring. They like to go home shopping in the spring. So combining with these natural market cycles of you know, a declining in home demand in the winter months, I think this could potentially make it a little bit worse. But as I have mentioned many times in this podcast, I don't think we have a catalyst for a massive crash. We would probably need a skyrocket in unemployment numbers. We don't have the same catalyst that caused the great financial crisis, you know, where the adjustable rate mortgages, uh, everybody got in those when they couldn't afford them. And then the mortgage, the mortgage rates went way up and then people were forced into foreclosure and bankruptcy. We don't have catalysts like that. But a steady decline is honestly pretty likely to continue on. So I, they mentioned a few of the 
worst declines in the United States, the cities that experienced the biggest decline in home prices, San Jose, California, saw home prices drop 10%, Seattle, 7.7%, San Francisco, 7.4%, LA, 4.3%, San Diego, 5.6%, Denver, 4.2%. So the average is 0.77%, but in these big cities where uh, the, they move, the volatility is a lot higher. When it drops, it drops a lot lower. When it, when it goes up, it goes up a lot higher. So that's some food for thought. Check out this article. If you're thinking about buying or selling a home, uh, this is definitely some stuff you should take into account for because it is not like it was last year. Last year was a frenzy. If you were buying or selling a home last year, well, more specifically, if you were selling a home last year, you, you would have been a kid in a candy store. People, people throwing bidding wars just to get your house. That might be a thing of the past, so keep that in mind, guys. And I'm gonna move on to the next article. So, topic number two. It's a pretty interesting article. So, I read a whole bunch of different articles on this. This is the article that I picked. It's an article from NPR, Three Things You Need to Know About Biden's Student Loan Announcement. So, I'm not gonna go over the three particular things because it's more about qualifying and uh, what you're eligible to get. Uh, will my monthly payments go down? Do I have to apply? Who will get loan forgiveness? We don't really care about those first two, but I'm gonna give you guys some raw facts about what this student loan debt forgiveness plan is and what the impacts are. So all moral arguments aside, you know, I, it is robbing Peter to pay Paul. You are taking taxpayer dollars from other people and giving it to others just to satisfy their debt and wipe it clean. I personally do not align with that, but I don't, I don't not align with it because of that moral argument where you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. I don't align with it because we are $30 trillion in debt. Our government has $171 trillion in liabilities. And I'll talk about that more after the next topic that ties into the $1.2 million in debt per person, but the gist is our government is so hopelessly irresponsible with their finances, and we simply cannot afford to wipe out all of this student loan debt because, believe it or not, the federal student loan debt, that is the biggest asset on our government's balance sheet. And given the fact that we are hopelessly indebted, and we're the global reserve currency. It's very important that we became we be we uh, pardon me we remain a creditworthy nation so that we can continue to you know lend money out and use that money to uh, or yeah borrow money rather and then use that money for our own good. All this spending it has gotten reckless though. So I've got a few facts that I want to bring out. Americans owe $1.62 trillion in federal student loan debt. Biden's plan will provide relief for most, about 43 million borrowers, and about 20 million will get it completely erased. So honestly, anybody who's experiencing an advantage from this and they're getting their debt forgiven, congrats. I mean, they already passed the bill. The money will already be spent. If you're able to take advantage of it, why the hell not? It's too late to vote against it or anything like that. The money will be spent. 
And if you qualify for it, then I don't see why somebody wouldn't take advantage of it. I watched a video the other day about a guy uh, talking to Elizabeth Warren. She was one of the Democrat, Democratic uh, presidential candidates of the 2022 election, or pardon me, 2020 election. And this guy was like, I already paid off my student loan debt. Am I going to be compensated for that? And she was like, of course not. And he goes on to say, my buddy, he makes more than me. And I was paying down my student loan debt. I was being disciplined with my finances. I wasn't overspending. I wasn't treating myself to these nice fancy dinners, these nice cars, these nice vacations. I was being diligent and responsible and paying off my student loan debt. But his friend, his friend went on the vacations. He got his new car. He even makes more money than him. And he gets his debt cleared. So I understand why people are upset with this. Is it unfair? Yeah. Yeah, it, it is unfair. But like I said, that's not why I'm upset. I'm upset because it's reckless spending and we can't afford it. So in order to qualify, you need to make under $125,000, under $250,000 for uh, married couples, and you can qualify for up to $10,000 in loan forgiveness. But if you have a Pell Grant, you qualify for up to $20,000 in forgiveness. But if you took a loan out, a student loan out, after June 30th, 2022, sucks to suck, you're not eligible. I don't know why they picked that date, but they did. If you took out your loan on July 1st of this year, you are not eligible, but the guy who took out a loan the day before, he's eligible. I don't know why they came up with that, but they outlined that in one of these articles that I read. I'm not sure if it was specifically this NPR article or not, but figured I'd say that because it's kind of interesting. So also part of this was a income-driven repayment plan, and it's cutting borrowers uh, from their 10% of discretionary spending, which is what the loan payments are limited to, and it's cutting that down to 5%. So that seems more productive than just outright canceling the student loan debt, especially because it's our largest financial asset and we need every dollar we can get. We're running a multi-trillion dollar deficit every single year. So, I mean, if, if I was running a company and the goal of a company is to be profitable, just like the goal of a nation is to be profitable, you know, uh, uh, produce more than you consume. If I was running a company, I wouldn't be just dumping my largest financial asset because it's not a good strategic business move. And for us to retain our sovereign, sovereignty and our independence and our strength as the nation's uh, most prosperous country, we probably shouldn't be doing stuff like that. So what is the cost of this? So the White House, the White House press secretary said that it's going to cost the White House, or it's going to cost the U.S. government, well, essentially U.S. taxpayers, it's going to cost U.S. taxpayers $24 billion a year for 10 years, $240 billion. That is a lot of money. That's money that could be uh, put towards our national debt. That's money that could be spent on maybe stimulating the economy because canceling debt doesn't stimulate the economy as much as basically giving out helicopter money. We saw when the, when the pandemic happened, uh, we did not see a catastrophic drop in GDP because they printed all this money and they gave it out to all these people 
and everyone had all this extra cash and they're spending it in the economy. So more money was flowing through the economy. So it stimulated the economy and the economy benefited from it. Yes, it artificially benefited, but it benefited. Now in this scenario, we're only canceling student loan debt. And most of these people who are, let, let's face the fact, I mean, I, a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck. The vast majority of people are living paycheck to paycheck. So a student loan debt being forgiven, it doesn't mean they have all this money to just go spend in the economy. It's just less of a financial debt obligation that they have. So the stimulation in the economy is lesser than if we were to give out free money or whatever. Uh, but you, the White House says it's gonna cost $240 billion a year. In, in a different article, there is another estimate from Penn Wharton budget model that it's gonna cost $605 billion over the course of 10 years. So which is it? How can they not pinpoint these numbers? I mean, they hired 87,000 people uh, for the IRS, or they're hiring 87,000 people more for the IRS. I mean, they should have this rock solid. They should know to the penny what this is gonna cost, where it's gonna come from. But White House says it's 240 billion. Penn Wharton budget model says it's 605 billion. And then uh, the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget estimate, estimates it's gonna cost between 440 and 600 billion dollars. So which is it? All I know is it's a fuck ton. It's a lot of money. And it's a lot of money that we don't have. So that's enough on this student loan debt. You know, it's, it's trending, everyone's talking about it, everyone's tweeting about it, everyone's giving their opinion. I figured I'd had to, I had to mention it. But let's move on to the next article. As you guys know, I love Zero Hedge. Uh, they're a financial news organization. And in this new article, it reads, this is beyond imagination. Polish homeowners line up for days to buy coal ahead of winter. So there was a video in the article and it was a video of people lined up as far as the eye could see. Hundreds of cars, hundreds of trucks, and they're all at this coal plant. Uh, this coal plant is called Lubelski Wagil Bogdanka Coal Mine. That was probably the incorrect pronunciation, but hundreds of people were lined up to get coal because everybody in Europe knows that Prices are skyrocketing for energy, and it's going to be a cold winter, and it's going to cost a lot to heat their house. And people are uh, more so relying on firewood to heat up their homes. And uh, as a matter of fact, Deutsche Bank in the past predicted that a growing number of German households will be using firewood for heating, a forecast which appears to have become self-fulfilling. So Deutsche Bank, they correctly predicted uh, that exactly. And that's what we're seeing. People are relying on alternative sources because natural gas is so expensive there. And I'll read something about that in a second, uh, a paragraph from this article. But yeah, several weeks ago, Zero Hedge reported on this. And I've been keeping up. I, I read them uh, pretty much every day. And they've been talking a lot about this European energy crisis. And it just seems like it keeps coming into fruition. It becomes more and more real by the day. So in this article, they quoted Reuters, 
And it said, hundreds of cars and trucks have already lined up at Lubolsky, Wigel, Bogdanko coal mine. As householders fear winter shortages, they wait for days and nights to stock up on heating fuel ahead of the coming cold winter in cues reminiscent of communist times. As we know, when nations become socialist and communist, the government takes control of energy. And as we know, a free market is the best route for uh, supply and demand to be figured out and prices to be established. If the government just takes control of all the energy, then they can sell it at half price. But what happens when you sell it at half price? It sells out twice as fast. And then the last half of people, or the last third, they don't get any. That's why free market capitalism is the way to go. And that's why the government should not be having any influence in uh, energy production or uh, you know, restrictions on it or you know, things of that nature. I mean, they do have involvement to a, cent, uh, a certain sense, but you guys get what I'm saying. So I'm going to read this, and uh, they were, in the beginning of the article, they were talking about this guy named Artur, and they didn't mention his last name. He wanted to remain anonymous. This quote reads, Artur's household is one of nearly four million in Poland that rely on coal for heating. Granted, these households are probably in better shape than the ones relying on gas, whose price is rising by 10 to 20% every day and is now almost literally in the stratosphere and now face shortages and price hikes after Poland and European Union imposed an embargo on Russian coal following Moscow's invasion of Ukraine in February. For those who don't know, an embargo, it is just a, a, a ban on imports, basically. A ban on trade, you might be able to call it. Poland banned purchases with an immediate effect in April, which with while the bloc mandated fading them out by August. So this is honestly quite alarming. Uh, I feel for the people in Europe, and we don't feel it nearly as much as them. We feel it at the pump, but we really are still in good shape with heating our homes and cooling our homes and whatnot because we don't rely on natural gas nearly as much as Europe does. And guess where Europe gets their natural gas? They get it from Russia, and Russia is bad at the moment. That's the common opinion. And so because Russia's bad, we're not gonna buy their, their, their energy. So the people at the bottom, the, the, the people, the average household, they are struggling because of this. And who is to blame? I don't know who's to blame, but you can decide that for yourself. These people are struggling, and I have a feeling there's going to be a lot to report on in the coming months, especially in winter. So as I told you guys in the beginning, I had a little something special for you guys. You guys are probably wondering how the hell I came up with this number. Every, every U.S. taxpayer owes $1.195 million to the U.S. government. How the hell can that be? I don't owe anything to the U.S. government. I didn't, I didn't borrow money from them. Maybe you did. Uh, I didn't. But you're probably wondering how that could even be. Well, I'm here to explain that. So we have $30.7 trillion in national debt. We have uh, $22 trillion 
our, our liability for Social Security is $22 trillion. Our liability for Medicare is $34 trillion. And amongst all of the other things, pile that all in together, what is our total amount of unfunded liabilities? And what is an unfunded liability? An unfunded liability is something that we promise to pay for, but we haven't found the funding yet. And you know where that funding comes from? It comes from future taxpayer dollars. So my money that I'm going to be paying in taxes in the year 2023, 2024, and so on, that is what they're relying on. They are relying on your money and my money that we're going to be contributing in taxes in the years ahead. And this total amount of U.S. unfunded liabilities is $171 trillion. I encourage you guys to go check out usdebtclock.org. They have all this information on there. It's, it's nice and nifty. It gives you a lot of interesting facts. I'm actually looking at it right now on my computer. So it comes out to liability per citizen. And notice I didn't say taxpayer because there's 330 million people in the United States, but there's only 143 million taxpayers. And we don't t collect taxes from people who aren't taxpayers. So the debt, the liability per citizen, it's not really, it doesn't do the full justice. But the liability per citizen is $513,000. And that, that includes your 12-month-old nephew. That includes your 95-year-old grandma who's not paying taxes. But what if we figured it out with the amount of taxpayers? Divide uh, 143 million into 171 trillion, and the number that comes out is $1,195,000. So of all the government's promises to spend, whether it be Medicare, student loan forgiveness, social security, government pensions, climate this, climate that, whatever it is, they are going to need, on average, $1,195,000 per U.S. taxpayer to fulfill these obligations. I'll tell you one thing. I don't even know many people who have a million dollars to their name, let alone $1.1 million to give just in taxes. And I ran these numbers for you guys. If you're making 25 bucks an hour and you work for 40 hours a week, you need to give that, that is 47,000 hours of your labor. That is 23 years not spending a dime and untaxed. You got to give all that money to the government. What kind of society has this turned into? I mean, are we slaves for the government? We are, we are basically taxpayer slaves because they have spent so much that, is gonna, that it is going to require every single of the 143 million U.S. taxpayers to fork over $1.2 million to cover their irresponsible spending. And with that, I am disappointed. I'll tell you one thing, <laughs> that ain't going to happen. What will happen? Probably a crisis of sort. What will that crisis be? I don't know. Will the U.S. have to default on their debt? Maybe. Well, eventually. I wouldn't call it a maybe. I'd call it an eventual, an eventuality. It's inevitable. Could there be a currency crisis? Yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe we repatriate gold and we wipe the debt and we build a new currency system. Maybe we get a central bank digital currency and we wipe out all this debt. All I know is that 
we cannot afford to pay that, so we won't. So if you guys thought that that was interesting, leave me some feedback. I would love to hear everything that you guys have to say. Uh, tips, questions, comments, what I can do to make this better, what I can do to provide more value to you guys. And as always, if you found value, please, it means the world to me if you would share it, tell a friend, uh, make a post about it. I'm trying to spread this, this movement out to as many people as possible because if I can impact more lives, then it's better off for this country. I want more people to become financially independent and sovereign rather than less. I want our country, our people to prosper. I do not want us to be debt slaves to the system. I do not want us living paycheck to paycheck. That's why I do this. That's why I talk so much about investing. That's why I outline plans to build wealth, not only through working an hourly wage, but also investing into your future. Uh, whether it be investing in hard assets like gold, like silver, like real estate, or energy, uranium, natural gas, oil, or investing in tech stocks that have a promising future, or blockchain technologies, annuities, bonds, all that stuff. I just want to educate you guys. So thank you everyone for listening. Share the show and tune in next week with Max's Morning Market Mania. Have a good day, y'all.